This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. But I'm going to try to share with you both of our stories. How we got to the place of having this ministry that we have here today. And Samantha's story is, is an amazing story. And I'm going to just try to, as best I can, share with you what brought her to the place that she's at today. You know, we talk about abuse, and uh, sometimes we get a little bit uncomfortable with this. Because it, it gets a little personal sometimes. I certainly don't know your stories, but I imagine there's people who have experienced abuse here in this audience today. I think abuse, especially spiritual abuse, is probably one of the hardest things to recover from. But thankfully we have a God that promised to see us through this. Samantha was raised in a non-Christian home. When she was three years old, her mother and father divorced and her mother dated a few men and finally she remarried and Samantha's life seemed to be okay for well for a while on the outside everyone looking in would have thought this was just a nice little family here was a, a good father caring for this young girl and this mother and, and everything seemed okay except what often happens in abuse home homes that have abuse the outside, what the world sees, is completely different what's going on inside. You'll hear it many times, like, really? That person was like that? When Jeffrey Dahmer was convicted, the, the serial killer who actually cannibalizes people, I know it's a little gruesome, but the neighbor said, really? That he did that? He just seemed like such a nice guy. Samantha's stepfather, and I can share this story a little more in detail because he, he has passed away since the time of the story, so there's more things that could be shared that may be helpful to you. He started uh, at a very young age to abuse Samantha. It, at first it was just a verbal abuse, like, you're so stupid, you know. He would do things to kind of torture her kind of in a, a mental sort of way, these little games like buy her new shoes and then tell her he's going to take those new shoes and burn them. You know, just stupid stuff. What happens is your self-esteem starts to slowly become eroded. You slowly start to feel like there's nothing that you can do that's right. When she started going to school, then it was a matter of you couldn't get a perfect grade. If you, if you, if you didn't get an A+, plus, what's, the raw, what's the problem with that? There was extra credit. Why didn't you, why didn't you do this? And, and so it was one step after another, slowly degrading her as a person that opened up her vulnerability to where she would later become abused further on. As she grew up into her teenage life, um, her stepfather, the abuse became more physical. Uh, it started with he would find a way just to pick an argument. And after the argument, he would have to discipline her, and then he would take off his belt, and he would beat her, and, and he would say, you know, this is because you, were, you mouthed off to me and those kind of things. And, and the abuse became physical in that regard. What she did find out later on, as she started to reflect back in the past, it wasn't just the physical abuse in that regard, it, it became more physical in the wrong direction, abusive that way. 
this opened up a door for her to try and excel and exceed. Because if you can't control your life at home, it's, it's out of control, you can never do what's right, she could do one thing right. And she could control the fact of what she ate, when she ate, and how she ate. And so she became very anorexic. In fact, it was to the point where kids at school started to tease her. And uh, this was back in the 80s time, and back then there was a song that went around the, the country, it was We Are the World, and it was a group of rock and roll singers got together and did the song as a, as a, a way to uh, raise money for the Ethiopian children. And so the kids at school, they made a poster, or they drew of her and called her the Ethiopian poster child. And they taped little nickels on the poster and, and you know, as a way to try and um, ridicule her. Father's abuse, abuse kids at school. And through all this, Samantha got straight A's. Amazing. Very smart, obviously. But she knew how to, to excel and exceed where she needed to. Raise this up a little. Okay. Is that better? Can we go a little louder? Or just talk louder? Or what do I need to do? So through all this, she knew how to maintain that scholastic excellence. But there's a vulnerability. You see, when someone's been abused, they don't know how to say no. No doesn't mean no to a person who's been abused. If your stepfather's going to beat you and you say no and he does it anyway, it doesn't work, right? Your world gets turned upside down. Yes is Whatever, and no is definitely not no when you don't want it to be no. She's about 16 years old, and she was invited to a party. She was assured with her friends that there were going to be a lot of people there, and she went with her friend to the party. She gets out in the country, just dropped off at the party, and she got there, and she found that she was the only girl there were three football players there and she wasn't in a safe place against her wishes against her protests they abused her they took her home and she had no place to go how are you going to tell your parents dad I was just raped by three boys dad who's abusing you is that going to work Unfortunately, boys, especially that type of guy, starts to talk. Those words get around. And what ended up being from one abuse went to another, to another, to another. And here's a young girl who wasn't raised in a Christian home, who's pleading for God to somehow stop this, And it gets worse. By the time Samantha and I met, she was 18. I was in mid-20s. I thought she was just perfectly normal. The wall was up. Had no idea that there was ever this dark past in her life. No idea that 
anyone could ever have that kind of dark past. It really wasn't what I had understood the world I grew up in. Fourth generation Adventists. For the most part, I, I grew up in a good home. There was some abuse. I'll share that in a moment. But you know, it wasn't like this. We started dating. And, <coughs> excuse me. Young ladies, young men, who you'll, you'll probably kind of understand where this is going because when you come into a relationship, you bring all your past with you, right? You'd like to think, well, that's what happened. That's the experience I went through. But it really doesn't affect me. It's not who I am. Because when I looked at Samantha, she's a pretty girl. She's got it all together. She, she's doing wonderful things. But I, I didn't understand what, what it meant for someone to be in a, a relationship where they were treated this way. She wanted to get married right off. Our first date. I'll tell you about our first date. We went on a blind date. And a friend set us up. She wanted to date my brother. And so she worked with Samantha. And she said, here... I got a friend you could go out with. So we went out and we went to the beach in California. We had a very nice day. And, and uh, right off the bat, we hit it off very well. We, we, we had a lot of things in common we were connecting with. And, and, but she told me very early on that I want to get married like now. And I was like, I'm not quite ready for that now. If I were to do it over, turn back the wheel of time, you know, we're married today, I would have said, sure. But you know, there were things in, in her life that I, even though it seemed it was perfect, not everything was, was to make sense. When you don't know how to say no, you, your barriers to protect yourself aren't there. When I would tell Samantha for, for years, I would say, you know, that, that guy's flirting with you. And she what are you talking about? She couldn't see it. A guy has a little different intuition. Women today who uh, aren't abused, their intuition, that whole scale we call it a, a perp alert. The, the perpetrator who is trying to uh, act inappropriately, they don't understand it. But a woman who hasn't been abused, her ability to, to understand inappropriate behavior is very, very, a lot more keen. And Samantha could never understand it. So we went through a period of time there where we were back and forth with our relationship. Well, we, during the fall of that year, we had talked about getting married, and I told her I just wasn't ready at this time. Something didn't work for me. I was praying, God, could you just let me know that this is the right relationship, that this is your will. And I just didn't sense that this was the right time. And that wasn't what she had wanted to hear. I didn't know about it, but that whole summer, Samantha had been planning her suicide. She had um, been going to a therapist, and he had been prescribing for her a medication for depression. And the medication that she was on, she took every day, well, she decided she wanted to find out what the lethal dose of this medication would be. And they actually published that information, believe it or not. And so she went and researched it, she found it, and she decided that... She, on a certain day, she was going to take her life. She wrote notes out to her family, wrote notes to me, and we went on a date. Had a wonderful date. I thought everything was fine. 
Next morning, I got up to go to work, and it was a, a foggy morning. Unbeknownst to me, the night before, she had parked her car just down the street from me, thinking that, well, when I wake up, Steve will go to work. He'll be the first one to find my car. Kind of the Romeo and Juliet kind of fantasy in her mind. It was foggy. I didn't see it. Went to work. I came home. When I got home, a neighbor lady told me that Samantha had tried to commit suicide. It actually worked. She had gone into her car. She took six times the legal dose. Six times. You know, we can be thankful that God doesn't leave us to our own, even our own failures. What she didn't know was, there was a lady who was lived in an apartment across the street, who was awakened in the middle of the night, and was impressed to go look out at her window. And she looks out at her window, and she says she sees a woman outside her car carrying a baby in the middle of the night. So she called the police. The police come. Samantha's locked in her car. She's overdosed. There was no lady, no baby, no child. We know that God intervened. They took her to the hospital and they had to restart her heart because she did die. She woke up the next day in a place where they put you when you try to commit suicide because they're going to help you from, from taking your life, right? Right? And she realized that it didn't work. And she says she was so angry at God. Because I did it perfectly. I planned it perfectly. It was all going to be over. I didn't have to worry about it. And it didn't work. I didn't know what to do. My parents and I showed up. And the only thing I I knew to do is I, I gave her a book on the life of Jesus. I gave her the Desire of Ages. She was there for three days and she read that whole book. 780-something pages or 800 pages. I mean, it's a huge book. But you know what? By the time she was through with that stay in the hospital, she knew that God had a plan for her life. When she got out, we dated. A few years later, we got married. You know, the thing about abuse is, unless you get healing, unless you get healing, you're still vulnerable. And the purpose of why we're doing this here today is not just to share with you a story. I'm going to share more details. It's not just to share you a story about someone who was hurt. We are doing this so you will see that God wants to heal you. Because if you are still vulnerable in your life, I don't want to see another person here ever be abused again. It's not God's plan. He didn't create you to be abused. He created you to be a a child of the king of the universe. He created you for a, a lofty, holy, wonderful purpose, and Satan has tried to destroy your life. It was about ten years went by. Nothing went wrong. And then one day... Samantha and I were invited to a birthday dinner for her stepfather's new wife. Kind of a strange disconnect, but her mother had 
and stepfather had divorced, he had remarried, she had still stayed in contact with her stepfather. Some people say, why in the world would you do that? You've got to understand, there always will be, I believe, inside every girl's heart a need to know her father. And that's what opens up many women to abuse, sad to say. If that relationship is not right or healed, you're vulnerable. We went to dinner. During this time, our, our life, I'm going to regress here, was, was totally changed. God had taken us on a, a completely different track. We had been a time where we were kind of struggling back and forth in our relationship with each other. We got married and with Him, and we, we had recommitted our life to Him, and we were working in our church. We had a very successful technology business, and, and everything is going just really well. And then we go to this dinner. We're back in church. We're visiting with our pastor, having Bible studies. And we go to this dinner. And as we're leaving, her stepfather goes to hug her. But he doesn't just hug her. He grabs her inappropriately. And we get in the car. And she says, I don't even know what just happened to me. I don't even want to think about what just happened to me. But she tells me what had just happened to her. And we're just like, wow. What do you do the only place I knew, knew where to go was to our pastor. Smith had been in counseling before. Certainly I'm not discrediting counseling. There's a place for it. But uh, it hadn't helped. She'd been there for years. Before. Ten years, no abuse. Everything seems fine. And, and she decides she's going to get counseling with our pastor. I can remember that day like it was yesterday. We went to church that morning. At that time, I was involved in, uh, was helping the song service. And I was singing the, the song, you know, we stand, everybody sings. And, and I'm singing the song there, where, and turning the page, and all of a sudden, I, I feel myself, this whole flood of emotion, tears coming to my eyes, and, and, I, and I couldn't sing, and I walked out of the church. I walked outside, there were some trees out there, stood out there, and I just, what's going on here? A few minutes later, I find myself in the pastor's office, and I said, you know, I, I don't know what's going on here, but, but I need you. What I didn't know was, our friendship with our pastor had become, well, he had been inappropriate already. We started Bible studies, and he started emailing my wife, and he started planting little seeds about how he thought that she was so perfect here. And, and this can happen so easily. I mean, even the most perfect relationship, there's always somebody you can find a little hole to get into. I don't care how perfect your relationship is. You and your wife love each other. There's always someone who can find a way to find a fault with you or with her to divide a wedge. And he had begun to do this. Why didn't Steve marry you sooner? Certainly he didn't love you enough. You know, these kind of things. Boy, I would never treat you that way and, and let you all those years to, to be waiting on him. The week before, she told me, I think we need to separate. We need to spend some time apart. I didn't know what it was about. 
So I'm in the pastor's office and I said, I don't know that I never thought I would need you, but I, I need you. And he says, Steve, I can help you. So I don't know. We're, I mean, we're pretty close and I understand, you know, that this may not be the best way to do this because you, feelings can get kind of caught up and you may not be able to, you know, keep the dis- proper distinction there and it's important in counseling that your relationship stays professional. That you don't get, those boundaries don't get crossed. And certainly if someone's not walking with Jesus, that's a formula for disaster. He said, no, don't worry. If it begins to be a little bit cloudy, I'll, 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 I'll stop. Don't worry about it. But I didn't feel good about it. Inside, I didn't feel right. I couldn't tell you why, I just didn't feel right. We went home from church and he said, I can meet you this afternoon, meet Samantha, and, and then I'll counsel with her. He was waiting for that moment. I couldn't stay home. I said, honey, why don't you just drop me off in a park and, and I'll just stay there while you're at the counseling appointment and then you can come pick me up when it's through. She dropped me off a little ways before the park. It was about a quarter mile, half a mile, I don't remember exactly. And I'm walking down the towards the park, walking through this path, and all of a sudden I hear this voice in my head, and it, it's not like an audible voice, but it's so loud and so clear. I, I thought somebody was speaking to me, and the voice said, you've made a deal with the devil. And I stopped, because it sounded like somebody about this tall was standing right next to me, and I stopped and I looked, and nobody was there. And I began to feel so uneasy, something wasn't right. went down to the park. You ever try to console yourself that something's okay when it's not okay? I have Steps to Christ. It's Sabbath. I'm going to read something good, right? And so I'm trying to read Steps to Christ and, and I'm reading. I couldn't remember a word on those pages. But you know, God does things for us what we need, not always what we think we need. I'm standing there, stressed to the max, feeling like something's not going right, I keep hearing that voice, you've made a deal with the devil, you've made a deal with the devil, you've made a deal with the devil. And along comes this little butterfly. Flying around, it just stops. And it lands on my shirt. And it just stays there for a long time. I've never had this happen. And I just felt like God was in a special way saying, Steve, you know, I'm there for you, but it's not going to be easy for you. I'm going to show you that I care for you, but it's going to be hard for you. And Samantha. A little while later, the pastor showed up. I expected Samantha. He said, Samantha's not doing so well. I wonder if you could just come back to the church and kind of just comfort her. We're driving to the church, and I'm thinking, what in the world is wrong with this? He was supposed to help her. We went to the church for that purpose. She went, and now he comes back, and he wants me to help her. I get to the church, and she's kneeling in the second pew there somewhere, and and she's crying. She couldn't tell me what was going on. We went home and things got worse. Samantha started to talk about suicide again. And I'm sitting here thinking, wait a minute, ten years ago I understood it because she was coming through this abusive relationship. Now we are ten years down the road, we're back in church, something is going on that's not right here. How can this be? How can this be?
not too long after this, the pastor actually raped Samantha. When she said no, in his office at the church. I'm not a violent person. But I'll tell you what. Your feelings change when somebody you love is being hurt. A friend, a friend of mine that was probably one of the most godly men I know that when I used to work at Amazing Facts, when I told him this story, when we talked about it, he says, you know what, if that had been my wife, I would have killed him. I know I felt like it. She told me she needed to be away for a while, needed time to think. You see, the thing about abuse is, especially someone in the role of spiritual authority, it so distorts our perception of God. Think about it. You go to church because it's safe, right? You go to worship a holy God because that's where you commune with Him. And now the person who stands here in this pulpit, who's supposed to be the one who's the closest to God, because that's why we put them there, we at least believe that they have a relationship with God, right? We believe that that person is someone who who communes with God daily, who is going to share with you the very life, the words of God, and that person abuses that position to abuse somebody? How are you going to reconnect to God? I'm a pastor today, so I understand what this means. I'm not degrading pastors but I can certainly share with you my frustration and anger for those who don't do what is right. We're here talking about the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet if there are issues in the church where God is being destroyed because of those who are His leaders, who are not following Him, not doing what He's ask, not living the life that they're supposed to, do you think we're going to be able to have the outpouring of God's Spirit in that church? I don't think so. When Samantha went away for a few days, I, I started to feel really uneasy, so I got on her computer. And it took quite a while, went through and found a file. The internet cache was empty, but back then things, well, this is technical, you don't care about that. But anyway, I found a file, and I found a website, and I went to that website and figured out the password and got on that website, and there it was, in my face, email after email after email, from the pastor to my wife, saying what he thought about her, what he wanted to do with her, what they were doing right then. And I shook. All of those fears... You know that you made a deal with the devil, came back. I called him on the phone. said, I know what you're doing. And he lies. What are you talking about? I'm not doing anything. I told him exactly. He said, no, I'm not. Then I read him the email. And he knew that it was true. I decided I need to leave town. 
We only had one car at the time. We only had one car today, but Samantha took the car. So I ran down to uh, Enterprise Rental to get a car, and, and I, I just, in my mind, I'm just, I can't believe what's going on here, and, and it's just this horrible nightmare is coming to an end, and I realize what's happened, all the lies, all the deceit, all of the stuff that is going, had been going on as, was real again. I was leaving town. I was going to go away. I didn't know what to do. Who do you tell? I was an elder in the church. Here's a pastor. Who do I go to? I finally was able to get a hold of my father and went and talked with him. and It was helpful some. My dad was, he's a godly man today. He was, a, he was a godly man then, too. But he wasn't always there for me as a child, so I wasn't always there, at least I didn't feel he was, to be able to share with him. I was going to go away, stay away, till this was over. I called Samantha on the phone, and I could hear this, this noise in the background. And I said, what are you doing? And she was not very coherent. She wasn't talking clearly. I said, what's going on? And it took me a little while to realize that she had put this plastic bag over her head and she was trying to take her life. I told her, you stop it right now. I'm going to call 911. I drove back home, talking to her the whole way, making sure she was still okay. I went back home, and I'd hoped that just at least if by finding this out, at least the truth would know. He's a, he is not a good guy. He's a scumbag, let's be honest here, and she'll be done with this. It didn't work that way. You see, when someone's been abused, like I said, no doesn't mean no, but they also don't know how to protect themselves emotionally either. And when we, there's a line's been crossed, and even though someone may not want an inappropriate relationship, when a relationship becomes sexual with somebody else, there is a connection there that's made, even though that person is not a person you would choose to be with, there's a bond that's there that has been put there, unholy as it may be, but it still creates an attachment to that person. She had a real hard time distinguishing between his lies and who he was. How could somebody stand here tell her that he loved her, tell her that God told them they should be together and truly be all that evil? You may be sitting here saying, well, that's no-brainer. Hello, it's simple, it's easy to see. But, but someone who's been abused, they don't understand. The emotionally, you're not able to have those defenses up. Especially when the abuse comes through a, a parental figure or a father. I can't count the amount of times I came home and found Samantha cutting her wrist. trying to kill herself, cord, trying to strangle herself. I would leave town 
kid you not, a number of times, and I, was, I would just be so frustrated because there was nothing I could do about this, and we would argue about this, and we would be all up all night talking about this, and, and we would, I would leave town, and, and I'd be driving away, and I would hear this voice, Steve, go back home. I'm like, no. You can argue with God, it's okay. He understands. And I go back home, and there she would be trying to take her life again. The story's got to turn somewhere because I'm here today as a pastor, and I was in technology, and my wife's still alive, so it's got to get better somewhere. There's a key. The key in our turning point in our life was intercessory prayer. Don't underestimate the power of praying for your friends. I know that she's alive today because of prayer. I know that she is able to serve God today because of prayer. Finally, the truth came out. The pastor was fired. But he didn't leave town. During this time, Samantha and I, the business we had, she needed a little space, and so she went to work for a, a former employer who lived further away in another town, but, but the pastor moved in between where we were working and, and she was at, and he would start to follow her to work. Well, before this time, sorry, I need to back up. It, it, I forgot at this very key point. She needed to have a surgery. All the abuse that went on when she was younger, she she developed sorry, endometriosis, which is very common for young ladies who've been abused. She needed to have a hysterectomy. And so during that time, I would go to work and she was home and, and I knew the pastor was, was making contact because he wasn't going to let go. And she was trying to get rid of him, but she didn't know how because he was somebody who at least he said he loved her and her own father didn't and, and all these issues that she was dealing with and, and so I would drive to work and one day I'm driving to work and I look over to the side and there's a donut shop that's on our way to work and I see his car parked there and I know that he's waiting for me to leave he's watching so he can go ahead and call Samantha when I leave and I, I pull inside there and I, I walked in he's sitting down there and he goes oh come on over here and I'm just like really? I mean, you can just act like we're, we're good friends. So what do you want? What are you doing? So I'm, I'm just here. There's a, a church member over here. I'm going to be helping them with something. I said, no, you're not. You're waiting to see when I'll leave. And then you're going to go call Samantha. So why are you doing this? You're going to destroy your ministry. You're going to destroy your life. You're going to destroy your family. Everything. Don't you care? I said, oh, no, you're, you're just making too much out of this. Please calm down. I remember driving to work one day and I was so angry. I just wanted him out of our life. I took my hand and I hit my fist. I hit it so hard that my hand, this hand hurt for at least a half hour. And I knew I was out of control. Because I knew if I did that to him, I would probably end up in jail and he would ultimately be the good guy. Poor pastor abused by some crazy woman's husband. 
just wanted him out of our life. Samantha started working and he started following her. She went to counseling and he started following her. Everywhere she went, he started following her. She went to counseling in another town and one day she gets there and she's got a call on her phone when she gets out and he says, I can see you, but you can't see me. He's like, where are you? He wouldn't tell her. Looking around, she couldn't see him anywhere. So we knew that his intentions, or she knew his intentions had become so far out there. It was for her, it was an ability for her to see what he was truly like. There's a turning point. I told you this. He had to go away for a few weeks. And while he was gone, church members started praying and praying that, that Samantha would see the truth, that she would, that she would find out somehow that, that this was really what was going on. And I remember through our arguments and conversations, he presented himself, of course, remember, he's the guy in the pulpit, he could, he could look really holy, good, and all, the, all that kind of thing, and he told her, you know, here's a guy that's committing adultery, and he told my wife, he says, I would never lie to you. Isn't that so honorable? Like somehow, you know, I can choose what's, what's evil I'm going to do. I won't lie to you, but you know, this over here, well, that's love. Somehow you can have honor among thieves, as it were. It doesn't work. You can't choose. When you step into Satan's path and you allow him to control your life, you're not going to be able to say, this I will give to you, but this I will keep under my control. And so she believed he would never lie to her. Never lie to her. He told her that when his family found out, his daughter was so excited for their new relationship. He told her this is a way to try and let her believe that they would be accepting that this could work, a way to try to continue to woo her away. Well, I told her the church members were praying. I went to visit with one of our church members' families. They were other leaders in the church, and we were talking about what was going on and praying for her. And, and all of a sudden, the, the lady said to me, said, you know, I talked with pastor's daughter, or his wife, sorry, and she told me that when his daughter found out, she got so upset, she went out and she got drunk, and she's just so angry at what her father's doing. I went home and I told Samantha, she asked me what happened, I told her what happened, and she realized he had lied to her. It was like the blinders came off. She could see what was going on. She was able to ultimately end this relationship, but you know, it didn't end what he was doing. He told Samantha that he was an expert in marksmanship. He, he was, had won medals in, in marksmanship, and he knew how to use a gun, and he knew that I was the problem and how he could take care of that. For months, I went around wondering, what, what in the world is this guy going to do? get up 5 o'clock in the morning to go to work and, you know, you could be sitting across the street somewhere over behind a bush somewhere and you, your mind just starts weird, with all these weird games wondering, what in the world is someone going to do? And I can tell you this, for years, for years, he stalked her. We moved out of the area. In fact, we were moving back east 
the day we put our house on the, on the market, put a sign out there, he's calling hang-up call after hang-up call after hang-up call, hour after hour. There's a key component here, and I'm going to share this with you, which deals with forgiveness. We're going to talk about healing as we go through this. It's an important part of this journey. And I know Nicole's going to share some wonderful things with you on, on, on dealing with abuse and, and dealing with, with healing. And we're going to have the anointing service for, for those who, who are looking for God to work in a special way in their life, and God will do that. But there's this component with forgiveness that I had to deal with because I hated him. And you know, the Bible is pretty clear. You can't hate anyone. And so we'll say that you love God and you hate your brother. You don't. It doesn't work. And God was working with me on this and telling me, Steve, you've got to forgive this pastor. And I would answer God and say, no. I'm not going to do it. He said, but you've got to do it. And one day he said, you know, you need to pray for this pastor. And we argued back and forth and back and forth. He said, okay, fine. So I don't remember the prayer. I offered a prayer of some sort. And then God said, you need to pray for his forgiveness. His soul is in serious jeopardy. And I said, he's the pastor. He should be praying for me. Why should I be praying for him? Well, finally, I surrendered to God's will. There's a passage in Job. Read the story of Job. His worthless friends come and tell him, Job, this is all your fault that God's doing this to you. But God finally shows up on the scene. He tells Job, you know what? Your friends are wrong. You are right. Tells Job's friends, the only way I'm going to accept you, basically, is if you have a sacrifice. And Job prays for his friends. I read this years after this fact and realized something very interesting. What did God do? When Job prayed for his friends, God turned the captivity of Job. It says the latter half of his life was better than the first, right? Doubly blessed. What's happening in our life today? There was someone who used to stand in a place like this, who didn't value their position enough, didn't value the sacred trust that God placed between them and those that they were asked to care, didn't value the the people under their care, the men and women that that God wanted them to show them who he was, to reach out a helping hand, to, to point them, as it were, to the place of safety. God put me over here in his place. Not because I'm worthy, because I know I'm not, but because he's given us a ministry to reach you. We've opened a lot of doors here. Some of you are probably identifying with your own pain. The purpose for sharing this with you is to share with you that what Satan meant for evil, God has turned for good. It's to give you hope, not discouragement. It's you to realize that no matter how painful your life may be or what's happened to you, God will turn this around for his glory and for your eternal benefit too. You know why? Because where you are the weakest, I believe God will make you the strongest. 
This I believe is true. That the very thing that Satan means to destroy you with, God can turn around and turn it into something wonderful for his glory. There are many people Samantha and I would never have gotten to meet and we will share eternity with because of the evil thing that Satan did and planned to do. I would never choose for this to happen again. Never. But now that it's happened, now that it's over, now that I've seen where God has taken it, I would never choose to undo it. Does that make sense? I know many of you have hurt, I'm sure. You came to a seminar like this, and I, and I, I apologize that Samantha wasn't here to share with you because I know, especially for young ladies, a woman's perspective is, is, is very powerful. But she's praying for you. She knows the pain, the hurt you've gone through. She knows, too, that God can heal you. I will... I think my time is almost gone. I'm going to leave you with a few short things. When this all ended, we started going to church at another church, another town. The pastor there was a very godly man. We were both rebaptized. One day the church had talked about those who needed healing, that they were going to have an anointing service. Samantha and I came forward. The elders lined up, and certainly we're not trying to discount what this service is about. We're going to talk about it more tomorrow afternoon a little bit, but I know at that point in time, God used that service just to heal us too. There's something about this service that is, that is amazing. If God were to put a prescription in his word for healing, and he were to write it out and give it to you, this is what it would be. You're sick. Call the elders of the church. They're going to pray for you. They're going to anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save you. And if you've committed any sins, they'll be forgiven. You have a new start. This is God's prescription for a new life for you. And we're not just talking about someone who's dying maybe of cancer. We're talking about someone who is sick spiritually because of whether it's be abuse or any kind of emotional issue. Maybe it's your own sexual issues where you've gotten so tied up in sin that you can't break free. Maybe it's pornography and there's just no way out for you. I believe God will break that chain for you. I've seen Him do it. I've experienced it in my own life. I've seen what He's done in my wife's life. I know He'll do it for you because God's not a respecter of persons. He certainly doesn't say, I'm just going to do it for you, Steve. No, he did it. Jesus died for all of us. This promise is in his word is for you as well as for anyone else. The promise is, is you don't have to leave GYC and not be healed. I believe God will do it because his word says he will do it. Maybe you're having issues with trust. Maybe you and God aren't so connected right now. Maybe you you don't trust him. You don't feel that, you know, God, you didn't protect me when I needed you. How can I trust you now? Samantha tells it this way. Whatever the abusive situation you may have gone through, the Bible tells us God was in Christ Jesus, reconciling you, the world, to himself. Whatever you've gone through, He wasn't just standing there saying, boy, I wish this wasn't happening to you. 
He experienced everything for you on that cross. Every sin that was ever committed against you, He felt. Every sin you ever committed, He felt. He experienced it with you, I believe. He understands. He wasn't the absentee landlord waiting for you to get better so He could somehow accept you into His kingdom. He is there for you now. He was there with you then. He never let go of you. He understands the pain because He felt the pain. said enough. I'm going to pray. Dear Father, I kneel before you. I lift a prayer to you on behalf of my brothers and sisters here. Oh, Father, I know some are hurting. Lord, Your word promises that you never leave us or forsake us. I'm praying right now that they will just have the faith to believe that you are there for them, the faith to reach out and and take hold of your hand and say, Lord, I want you to heal me, the faith to believe that you will do it, Father. I pray that the peace of God will come upon them and that they will sense and know that you are there for them that you love them with an everlasting love. Oh, Father, please, reach out. Touch those who are reaching out to you, I pray. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for a love that's so great that we can't possibly comprehend it, but we can only receive it. Father, I pray they receive Jesus. They receive the healing that he is offering to them. I ask this in Jesus' precious holy name. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.